everybody. Welcome to the BAT podcast. This is Randy Nonnenberg and Howard Swig. We're excited to be back. A um, lot, lot of interesting things going on this week. Um, after our first podcast last week, we hope you checked that one out. Uh, and we're excited to be with you again. This week we have a special guest from the BAT community um, that Howard is going to have a little chat with. We're going to talk through a couple of uh, new features coming on to BAT, which is really exciting. Um, and we're going to talk about, yeah, some events, um, some bucket list stuff going on, and, and general uh, news from the BAT community. So with that, let's kick it off. No, we got, we got a good agenda today. Uh, I'm super stoked to be back. Podcast number two. Uh, we got through number one. Um, I think it's pretty good. You know, it's kind of like your first couple laps out of the pits. You're, you're making your way uh, up to speed and, uh, you know, getting more comfortable. The tires are warm. Getting I think more, the tires are warmed up. Getting more comfortable behind the wheel, uh, you know, carrying a little more speed into the corners. So uh, we're, we're feeling good for round two today. Okay, fantastic. That's an apropos for Howard to talk like that. He has plenty, plenty of track laps under his belt. So, uh, yeah, we can also quiz him on that. But one thing I wanted to emphasize for everybody is that, um, yeah, reach out to us. Tell us what you want to hear. Tell us what kind of guests you want us to have. Uh, these podcasts you can now find on the um, bringatrailer.com slash podcast page. You can find it in the upper menu on the site. Um, and you can very easily reach out to us with questions that we can answer on air or, um, yeah, just any suggestions that you have. What would be cool to hear? So get involved. We'd love to hear from you. So, yeah, with that, um, let's talk about new stuff. We've got uh, a really amazing new feature coming this week, which is something that has been in the works for so long, and that is BAT shipping. Bring a trailer shipping. So um, we've wanted that to be integrated and uh, not as much of a pain point as it is for so many people with 300 cars uh, plus, I think 350 this week on the website there's about uh, you know 250 or more that are selling every week, and they a, a bunch of them get shipped all over the country, and people are doing that uh, by who knows what means. You know, they're calling, they're looking online, and it's just a really messy world to try to ship your car. So we have built, and you can navigate over to see um, that we have integrated shipping and map tracking and all this sort of stuff right onto BAT and integrated it into your checkout. If you win a car on BAT, you check a couple boxes, you get an instant quote, you agree to it, and boom, boom, you can have the car delivered to you. You know, frankly, it's, it's pretty remarkable. We've done now over 43,000 auctions, and we haven't done a whole lot uh, by way of directly helping uh, all of our uh, users and customers ship their car. We, we have provided suggestions and um, and recommendations of the sort, but you know this is this is a game changer for us. As uh, Randy mentioned, this has been uh, in the works for seemingly years and years. Um, <laughs> yes. But you know to to roll it out in the right way uh, takes a lot of thought, and we wanted to to do it right. So, yeah, shipping, man. I mean, forty three thousand cars, all of them had to be shipped. Well, not all of them. Some people fly in and drive them home. Um, but shipping, like so many things, I mean, there's a whole underworld behind it, right? My first job out of, uh, out of college was at a company as a new car buying and leasing broker, and we'd get cars in the Bay Area. We'd uh, get cars up from L.A., and we would use a, a shipping broker dispatcher. Um, and, you know, 
he's hiring these shipping cowboys and the price was bargain basement, but um, uh, the cars got there undamaged. I won't mention the name of the company, but um, you know, that, uh, you know, talking about the spectrum of the shipping underworld, I mean, that guy, you never know where the car is. Maybe the trucker stopped over in Fresno to see his girlfriend for the weekend. So, um, yeah, I, I guess the point is, you know, shipping is a separate chore that you have to do if you buy a car. Uh, you know, the buying, buying is easy and fun, and then you got to do your, uh, you know, do a couple of tasks to get the car into your garage. Um, and what we uh, have built with BAT shipping is, uh, uh, first and foremost, super convenient and delightful and easy to use. Um, we've partnered with um, someone who has really neat technology that makes it really awesome as a customer once you buy your car to not really have to think about it again. It's not uh, navigate away from BAT and get on the phone and try to work out your quote and uh, you know all of that stuff that can be kind of a headache. Um, this is really a one-stop model and uh, you do it all right there uh, on your on your BAT auction listing. Yeah. One thing that I've always been envious of is like people who have a guy, right? Like they know somebody and I've never been one of those people to know who to call to ship a car. So I go on Google or I, you know, bought a car on eBay and I click through their links to whatever firm, you know, which is outside. And it, it just all feels heavy and, um, you know, kind of scary in some ways. And so what I always wanted, what I think all of us here at BAT have always wanted is like an Amazon experience, right? Like you buy the thing, you put it in your cart, you, uh, you say purchase and the thing, you know, is triggered and things are put in motion and it comes to your house. And I think that's how so much online is done. And so we've been thinking over the, yeah, it's been a you know, year, 18 months of putting this thing together uh, of how do we do it? How do we make it work? How do we make it easy? How do we make it work for a you know, Chevy pickup truck, but also a non-running Volkswagen, right? Like how do we make this something that uh, is just really easy from end to end? And something that was a just mandatory feature for me uh, is like a map on BAT where beginning to end, you're kind of seeing the progress, right? That's something I do on every package coming to my door, and I wish I could do that on every car. And a couple trucker, uh, trucking companies out there have it, but it's certainly not the norm, and it's, uh, it's something that is necessary. So you, for this, you'll go to your BAT uh, sort of user page and on the auction page after it's closed if you're the winner, and there'll be a, you know, a clickable link right there with an embedded map um, that shows, you know, this, uh, this 240Z that you just bought, uh, whether it's 200 miles away or 2,500 miles away, uh, it's on its way to you. Uh, and all you had to do was a couple clicks, and it's, it's um, trustworthy and a known quantity and done through BAT, and we stand behind it, and we're excited to offer that to everybody. So, yeah, this is just sort of a major step forward. I know there's a couple other sites where you can kind of click off to a partner they have or something, but having it from auction bid to quoting to shipping to you in a couple of clicks, we just think really isn't offered out there. And we think that's something that we're really psyched to be able to offer ourselves. Yes, I think uh, certainly number one is super convenient and really neat technology that's nicely integrated into the BAT platform. Um, number two is being able to offer this service at a very competitive price. Um, how that works, and Randy, correct me if, if I'm wrong, but uh, we have a really neat kind of automated quoting tool that takes the zip code where the seller and car are located and the zip code of your registered BAT account 
and it spits out for you uh, a quote. I think we're going to offer open and enclosed. Correct. Um, some folks may wish to use one or both uh, both of those. Uh, obviously, open would be a little bit cheaper, um, depending on the car and the weather and the uh, where the car is going. Um, yeah, you and I have shipped a few cars over the years. Um, you know, it's it's a mix of you know mild to wild in terms of ease and uh, um, administrative headache. Um, but we we think uh, uh, BAT shipping can avoid a lot of. Uh, a lot of the bad parts, uh, when shipping goes great, the whole experience from start to finish is wonderful. But if it goes wrong, it can be uh, a huge pain point and uh, maybe sour the last mile, so to speak, of, of what is otherwise a really awesome purchase. So uh, we're, we're pretty excited. Yeah, this is going to be great. So anyway, we're psyched on BAT buyers who do these uh, Hail Mary stories where they fly and drive and you know drive their brand new purchase that they've never seen uh, 1500 miles home and send us the stories and that sort of stuff. We will always encourage that. Um, but we just know that there's, uh, frankly, the majority of people, uh, that are buying on BAT that somehow need to get that vehicle to them. Um, and, uh, developing this sort of, uh, set of tools and really easy process is, is something that we think is yet another reason to buy, uh, and sell on BAT just because it's uh, we're simplifying it. So we'd love to hear your feedback. Go to the website, go check it out. Um, you can get quotes on any car, how much it'll cost to ship to you, even if you're not the winner yet. Um, so that is in uh, every single listing um, right above the bid box, sort of. You can go there. And as Howard said, one of the coolest things is you can uh, get both an enclosed uh, quote and an open quote at the same time. Um, if you're sending a, you know, $4,500 car, you're probably not going to pay three grand in shipping. You're probably going to look for an economical route, but if you're buying a Ferrari Daytona on BAT, you're probably looking for the highest, uh, most secure, uh, enclosed shipping you can do. And both of those are offered, which was another part that we thought was really important. So go check it out. Uh, that's a major leap forward for us. And we'll obviously continue to check in uh, with updates, uh, about how that product is developing, but it's on the site right now. Um, yeah, moving on from there, we've got, yeah, a couple other cool things we can talk about. Um, first off, there's just some interesting cars moving across BAT. There's been some interesting cars just in the broader marketplace. We're always, uh, watching stuff for whatever reason, Howard and I are always watching weird, uh, car auctions in Europe and stuff selling. And I'm just as much as day one on BAT. I'm just as addicted to like watching cars transact that I'm never going to buy, uh, before I go to sleep at night all over the internet. So I know so many of you are doing that too, but Howard, any, uh, any interesting stuff on BAT jumping out the last week or even live now? Oh man. Yeah. A lot of stuff. You know, one thing I would kick off with is what is probably the most significant American car we've ever listed, which was a 1969, uh, Corvette L88 coupe, uh, that closed last week, sold for $610,000. That's a C3. Correct. That sold. For six hundred grand, like I was a little freaked out by that. I was like, "Okay, this has got the special big block. What is this? What is this? Two fifty, three hundred? But you're telling me that this is like markets a high market for one of these big block cars. Yeah, like so many of uh, you know the the great limited production American muscle cars. The the best one to the casual observer looks very similar to the you know showroom stock lowest spec option, 
right? A, a Plymouth satellite, uh, totally. you know, looks similar to and the, the Hemi's ten times the, the totally, money, right? Totally. Yeah. So yeah, the LAD8, um, pretty awesome history. They only made I think 216 of them between 67 and 69. Um, this was an effort. Uh, uh, that GM and Chevy did. They wanted to gear it towards uh, racers. It famously was um, not publicized uh, very intentionally. They actually discouraged people from buying the car. They famously uh, underreported the horsepower figure. I think they was said it was 435 or 440 when in reality it was quite a bit more than that, mid 550 to 580. I think period tests clocked a uh, uh, a stock LED8 doing a quarter mile in like 11 odd seconds. Wow. So um, that's pretty good today. And and in 1968, that was that was pretty remarkable. So yeah, no, it's it's a car with um, with a really cool history. Obviously, most of them as a result went to uh, privateer racers that took them anywhere from um, you know local SCCA regional races all the way up to uh, I think. One American drove it at uh, drove one at Le Mans, sixty eight or sixty nine. Crazy. And what's the deal? That guy listed that thing no reserve, and it had a great video attached. A lot of people were talking about the video. It was kind of an interview with the owner. Is that what was going on? Yeah, the, the seller um, who has listed a ton of cars with a lot of success did a wonderful job with with his presentation. A number of videos with uh, owners and restorers who are familiar with the car. Like, we got to get him on sixteen hundred Veloce. Is that who sold that one? He's in. Yeah. If, if you're listening, we're we're gonna we're, we're, coming, we're coming after, after you. you. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we're coming. <laughs> but yeah, and, and like so many um, of, of those of those muscle cars, uh, you really need to be bulletproof and demonstrating the authenticity of the car. And he did a wonderful job doing that. And uh, yeah, one of those cars. It's tough to say what's the market for it. They only made 216 of them. Who knows how many are still around? Um, they made coupes and convertibles. So uh, definitely a strong result, but but deservedly so for for a really exceptional car. Yeah, and you say most significant American car that we've sold. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think what else would be in that realm, right? We, we've sold some Shelbys. We've sold, um, I mean, Ford GTs, right, are bringing big money. Um, the new and the old, both of those have, have seen quite a bit of traction on BAT. Um, but, I mean, to get into American cars that start eclipsing an L88, you start getting into maybe, you know, historic racing cars that actually won stuff, or you get into, uh, yeah, cars with Le Mans history or... Uh, stuff out of special collections, or I don't know, Duesenberg type crazy stuff that we don't, we've dabbled in a little bit here and there. But uh, yeah, top five, if this one is the peak, the top five fills out with some interesting American stuff. And, and I love that. I love that we have uh, that sort of variety and that the American category has this thing like way out in front, pulling, you know, 3X what uh, some Ferraris from the same era pulls. Um, you know, having that car parked next to a um, you know, similar era, early 70s Ferrari is, uh, it's awesome to see that people are still super psyched about uh, Corvettes. And the C3 sometimes, uh, maybe the C4 is even a, another rung down, but the C3 is sometimes a little unloved by some folks, right? A lot of people are like C2 um, uh, obsessed. I'm a little guilty of that, but seeing one of these show up and just really knock everyone's socks off was, was super cool. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, significant is, is subjective. Um, uh, this car is actually uh, virtually parked next to, on the results page that I'm looking at now, uh, a 1980 Ford F-250 truck <laughs> with 76 miles that sold for $97,000. I actually know the guy that bought it. He's a Do you really? super awesome collector who... Wow. Um, uh, from what I know, he has isn't isn't um, you know collector grade '80s trucks, if that's even a thing now. But 
Um, yeah, I mean, Sometimes it's dealers. They want them like for a showpiece on the on the you know try to sell new Raptors by tugging at the heartstrings with a with a bullnose pickup. But this one, you know, the dude, and he's he's not a not in the business. He's looking to do it just to have fun, huh? Totally. Yeah. No, the the trend for for trucks uh, has been pretty remarkable to watch play out on BAT over the last few years, and um, like all collector cars, the really uh, you know in the wrapper jewelry. I don't know if you'd use the word jewelry to describe an AD F250, but you know, the, the really exceptional, exceptional stuff, um, you know, will always soar above uh, the rest price-wise. And this, um, this was a really good example of that. Cool, super cool. Well, those are a couple wild results that we've had. We've also had just some, some cool stuff coming across in, in uh, much mellower price points. We've also had a category sometimes people don't think about is parts and engines and documents. I know we've had some Hoyer clocks recently that people are fired up about um, with vintage rally type stuff. Any any weirdo sort of parts or components that um, you remember? Things that were super out there and, you know, uh, you know, part of my job is looking at all the submissions with my team that comes in every day, and, and you know, most of it is, is cars and trucks. But uh, you know, um, occasionally we will get some some oddball uh, parts and uh, automobilia and miscellaneous stuff. So I think my two favorite things recently we had a really well done slot car set um, that was you know effectively like a whole diorama that was probably like. 10 by 20 feet. Done. Wasn't it in Michigan or something? Where yeah, was that thing? Yeah, it was uh, something Midwest, like that. Midwest, I think, yeah. Uh, so you got the awesome, you know, slot car set with, with the topography and the mountains and the little people and the cars and then all the cool slot cars that went with it. Uh, so that was a big hit. And uh, then we had a guy who actually previously sold a really awesome 65 GT350, a guy out in Hawaii. Um, G, shout out to G Blue if you're uh, if you're tuning in uh, from the Big Island, but he sold a racing simulator, and this is a cool guy, and he's got some cool cars, and he submitted this. He's actually sent me an email saying, "Hey, you know, I know there's a little, you know, out there for you guys, but I've got this <laughs> racing simulator. This is like a full full motorized moving seat with triple screens, and you know, if 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 you can't afford to hop in a, uh, you know." F1 car. This is this is about the the closest you're going to get for a hundredth of the price. And I said, Greg, you know that 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 sounds cool. And we listed it, and people loved it, and it sold very well. I said, I, I don't know how you're going to ship your seat and three television screens from Oahu to presumably you know the mainland U.S. He said, no, don't worry about that. I can I can handle it. But um, yeah, no, I, I think I think we love and and uh, all you guys listening love. Um, when we sprinkle in stuff like that. So next, uh, next thing that'd be kind of fun to talk about Howard and I in the office, uh, and when we're chatting back and forth are often talking about cars that are, uh, for sale or have transacted all over the place, all sorts of weird, uh, sites and hidden places that we see interesting results happening. And one of those is seeing, um, stuff from overseas. One reason is, uh, yeah, a lot of people don't know those websites or they could be in other languages, um, but I tend to hunt around on classified sites and have featured cars like that on BAT since the beginning, really, uh, of cars that are in, you know, France or Belgium or who knows where. And that sort of uh, spawned a, a project that I did on the site when we were just exploring different types of editorial. We did a what I called a uh, purchase adventure, decided to go to Europe, find a car over there, buy it, drive it there and ship it home. 
we have some international sellers that like ship stuff across oceans. So I wanted to see what that experience was actually like. So one of the first cars that sold on BAT auctions was a 1964 Alfa Romeo Julia Sprint uh, GT step nose car, a blue one um, that has kind of become uh, famous within BAT just because it was there on the first day for some of the first auctions. Um, and that whole story uh, kind of stemmed from this process of like nobody knew that car, right? There's a lot of cars in the U.S. that people know uh, when you show up at Cars and Coffee with it. But this car was a total curveball that came out of nowhere, and, and it, was, it was fun to drive it for that reason. But that leads me to, Howard, what, uh, what kind of stuff are you seeing out there? Or maybe some stuff that's hidden that people may not have known was on the market or transacted recently. Yeah, totally. No, we, we love looking at the weirdo stuff coming across uh, auction blocks uh, across the pond. Um, yeah, as Randy mentioned, I mean, Europe uh, has such a great uh, history and legacy with motorsports and specifically uh, models of cars that never made it to the U.S. Um, and so we're always keeping our eye out for uh, for cool stuff being sold. Uh, I really like uh, a regional auction house called Art Curial, which is located in France. Um, they host uh, just a handful of auctions every year, but I've always found that they uh, select really, really cool stuff. So uh, they had an auction that just ended last week. Um, what caught my, my eye was they had a group of really special competition cars um, that were for sale. Um, the headliner was the car that won the 1972 24 Hours of Le Mans, um, a Matra, which... I'm sure was as terrifying to is as terrifying to drive now as it was then. Uh, I think that was that was a blue Graham. race car, right? That's they, right. Yeah. Yep, yep. I think that was Graham Hill and Henry Pescarolo that Whoa. did that. I think Matra actually swept. I don't know if the podium, but well, anyways, one two. Um, so that was neat. That brought uh, almost seven million bucks. I don't know what you do with it, but it's not too often that uh, a Le Mans 24 winner uh, comes across the block. So that's a special one. And uh, yeah, my favorite was they had a, a, a grouping of. Uh, X-Works, Group B, Rally Cars, um, you know, all, all the stuff that, that people love, Delta S4 Lancia, Sport Quattro, uh, RS200, uh, 2FI Turbo 16 Peugeot, which is probably one that speaks to Randy uh, uh, along with... Love uh, that. except for the price, man. That thing was crazy. Can't believe what it went for. And R5 Maxi Turbo. There we go. Uh, now we're talking. did for, what is this, almost 800,000 oh US. Wow. Carlos Sainz's... Uh, R5 Maxi. So they get that stuff. That's the crazy part of some of those auction houses. Like, uh, who knows where that stuff is coming from? And obviously, those guys are super well connected within France and within the sort of adjoining countries uh, over there. But like, who knows what collection or museum or whatever um, those cars were hiding in? And it's stuff that us all the way over here uh, on the West Coast or anywhere in the U.S. may not have those sort of ties into there. So. Um, it's one thing to browse cool auction catalogs and uh, online sites and classified sites and all that sort of stuff. But to see some of this stuff spring up, obviously, those are crazy special cars. Um, and to read the way they do descriptions is always a little weird because it's translated and you're kind of trying to get to the root of uh, what's the story with these cars. And anyway, so so underground or, or not necessarily underground, but maybe lesser known auction houses. Uh, you have to be pretty in the know to be able to, to know Art Curial or how to pronounce it or where they are. And uh, obviously you and I are always, uh, you know, interested in those sorts of sort of unusual venues. Any others other than that one that, that you're uh, 
sometimes watching or, or yeah. thinking of, even if there's not specific car examples. But where else do you find this kind of stuff? I think one reason why a lot of this stuff uh, does well in Europe is the whole event scene in Europe is, frankly, at a whole another level than here in the U.S. And we have great events uh, here, but uh, specifically the the uh, rally and race and tour scene in uh, Western Europe and the U.K., uh, is attracts incredible cars, and whereas all the cars we just talked about are pretty useless in the U.S., you can actually take those to a handful of events in Europe and go buck wild in them <laughs> and actually drive them in the way that they yep. were designed. And uh, that is, uh, frankly, really unique to, uh, to kind of the European motoring culture. Um, that they are able to do that. And, uh, I mean, Goodwood is the obvious example. Those guys are driving the best of the period, and you know, crashing into each other and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, they're, they're driving to win and, and the uh, custodianship of the car often seems secondhand to, uh, or to show third, second or third or way, way down the list, really different from here. No, you're, you're exactly right. Those are some cool ones. Yeah, there's actually events, you know, Rally Day and um, some of the sort of rally festivals they have. Like if you buy a Colin McRae Subaru and have it over here, you like park it in your garage and show it to a couple people, I guess, right? Uh, I don't know where you're actually going to use that thing. But over there, they're like, oh, yeah, there's like a dirt stage four times a year where you actually go run that against cars that it would have competed against in period. So a lot of them get put uh, in museums and stuff and collections, but I think over there they they love to use them. So, yeah, a quick segue there. I mean, you talked about it. Any um, any events that you have that, I mean, independent of COVID, say, say uh, even a year or so ago, like it would have been on your list, like – that's something I would dream of doing, or that's something I really want to do. Totally. Well, I know you might get to this. I know for a long time you have uh, had a dream of doing the Monte Carlo Rally. I don't, I don't, I don't want to steal your thunder if that's what you were saying. That's but. like just the top, right? <laughs> I mean, that's like living in the car magazines that I grew up in, like all of those, whether it's 80s era or 50s era, all those guys driving past those signs in the snow and, and like, oh, man, all, all that stuff is really, yeah, you, you hit on it. I can't stop talking about that stuff. But, yeah, what were you going to say with it? Um, yeah, no, I mean, I would say one feature of the European events is they tend to be pretty competitive, um, and so that appeals to some and not others. I'm still somewhat of a young buck, so that does appeal to me to some degree. So, yeah, I would love to do, for example, like the Modena Centradoro. Um, another cool go. thing about a lot of those events is there are, there are very cool uh, road sections, but most of them incorporate um, full-on drop-the-green-flag races at all the great tracks around uh, Western Europe. So uh, when you enter in Torado or, or Modena Centradoro, none of which I've done, um, but, uh, but I'd, should I'd, do. I'd happily you know, take a, a, pre, a pre-tax uh, salary deduction mm-hmm. or apply it towards that if we, can, if we can arrange that somehow. I mean, there's guys in the BAT community that are going over there, Americans that are going over there to run that, and they run it in a, you know, your, your type of Giulietta Veloce, right? I mean, it's not necessarily you have to have a million-dollar rally car to go run those sorts of things, right? There's a, there's a uh, 68 Mustang sort of Trans Am spec almost Mustang that's over there uh, in Europe that has Tour Auto history, right? So that signals that it's not even a Shelby, right? You can get in there potentially with some... Uh, under the radar type models and go do those sorts of events. And yeah, I was, you know, always, always just thoughtful about, you know, the price of a round trip ticket and uh, some sort of car to drive over there, whether you're buying it or renting it. 
Um, there are some really expensive events that you can run, or you can buy a round trip ticket to Europe and go try to do something else. You know, I always try to put a pencil to that, and that that's what resulted in my Alpha trip and those sort of events. I think you ought to do a man. I think you got to get over there and and get some time behind the wheel in those sorts of events. I'd love to see you do that. I'd love to cheer you on to do that. I don't, I don't have the uh, driving chops that you do, but. Uh, maybe I could sneak into some mellower road tours over there. I don't think Monte Carlo is exactly knocking on my door asking me to come participate, but uh, I think you got to have FIA licenses and all sorts of stuff over there that I would have to uh, grow into, but you may be ready for. Yeah, I mean, it's not for everyone. I mean, you, not everyone wants to drive 300 miles and then do, do a two 20-lap races at Monza and then drive another 200 miles back to the hotel. So it's, uh... That's not normal? I think that's totally normal, man. I want to do that. <laughs> Uh, other event would be would be Le Jog. You're into that, uh, which is what Lanz and Tijano Groats. Totally. Uh, now we're getting deep into the weirdo <laughs> uh, car event space. But uh, would love to hear. Yeah, tell people about that one. Oh man, you know I, I don't know a whole lot about it. I just know it's awesome and has been around for a long time. And it's basically you drive all around the island of Great Britain, um, and I think it's. 10, 11, 12 days, and it's a I lot think it's dr- not for sissies, though, right? It's, like, nasty weather and long distance, and there's a night stage, and I think they have, like, an expert category where, like, it's pretty cutthroat, like, and this isn't, like, high-speed cutthroat. This is, like, navigational and time and finesse sort of cutthroat, and I think there's a lot of, like... Uh, Definitely competitiveness, but but there's people that have been like, oh yeah, I've done the last 25 of these, right? Totally. Like, you know, just waltz in and take the cup, right? I think there's nationalism going on, and I think there's cool territory. Uh, those the name comes from two points in in the UK. It's like traversing uh, traversing the region, uh, like if you were trying to run something from you know Miami to Seattle, sort of sort of distance and uh, a well known sort of. Uh, milestone locations and they abbreviate uh, the weird names of those into this Le Jog name and it's always just been kind of romantic and interesting and crazy and I've, I've always wanted to go over there. We featured um, a Canadian that bought a Benz off of BAT. He actually bought a uh, what was it? A 111 or no, 109 sedan uh, Mercedes and he took it over there and ran it in Le Jog and I was like Sweet. Wow. Yeah, super cool. Yeah, no, I, I guess uh, I guess we could sum it up that Le Jog is kind of like the British version of, of the Cannonball Sea to Shining She classic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think we like that stuff, but, you know, it's a ten, 10-ish day event. Uh, part of me thinks, you know, on day three, I'd be like, okay, <laughs> this was awesome, but I, I'm not trying to do this for seven more days. Yeah, totally. And I think they're pretty hardcore, right? They're, like, pretty gristled by the end of that, the people that survive. It's like a survival <laughs> test. But I love that you bring that up. Yeah, those... Those three, the one in Italy that I can't even pronounce, but I want to do uh, the Tour Auto, uh, which is the one in France, and it, like, finale under the Eiffel Tower with all these race cars and stuff, just super ridiculous, uh, great videos online of watching that. You see guys in GT40s going on, you know, B-roads through France. Really unbelievable. Uh, and then the Le Jog. So, the, I mean, no shortage of cool things to do once we can get on an airplane again and go travel around and... Uh, burn some gasoline uh, at high prices per liter over in over in France. So yeah, those would be 
certainly on my list. Um, and then, honestly, I'm just, you know, everybody has been sort of locked down, uh, you know, dream events to go do. I want to uh, do some more events around the U.S., right? Like, do the Copper State again. Do the, go into the Sun Rally in Montana again. I want to do something up in, uh, I think you know this, I've always wanted to drive from California to Alaska. And the Alcan has, has been a summer, then winter, then summer, then winter. And I... At one point, had a car that would have made sense for it, and right now, I don't have a car that makes a lot of sense for it. The Alpha Julieta would be a, kind of a torture machine to go try to drive to uh, Alaska, but I think that's a cool challenge. So, anyway, no shortage of awesome, awesome events, and again, just a, a cool reason and a cool lens uh, through which to look at cars on BAT. Like, oh wow, there's an interesting Mustang fastback. Like, I wonder if that would carry me from here to the East Coast or whatever. You know, those sort of adventures. Uh, are a big reason why I care about cars and, and doing stuff with cars. So, yeah, anyway, cool. a few cool segments. We're also super excited for kicking off um, uh, interview series and, and different people we can engage here, um, and we're excited to do a little bit of that today. So now we'd like to kick off our first guest speaker segment of the podcast, you know, I'm always so impressed with just how diverse the BAT community is with such an interesting mix of people from really every corner of the car world. You know, these are collectors, restorers, mark experts, rally organizers, dealers, shade tree mechanics, casual hobbyists, professional race car drivers, engineers and executives, and on and on and on. They all have wonderful stories to tell, and I'm really excited uh, now that this podcast platform can give us the opportunity to hear from any of these people firsthand to get a taste of what they're doing and what they're all about. So without further ado, joining us today is a well-known member of the BAT community, a very active participant and knowledgeable contributor on the site. I'd like to welcome user 911R and the man behind the scenes, Matt Crandall, to the podcast. Matt? Thanks for being here as our very first guest. Yeah, thanks, Howard. Uh, this is exciting. You know, it's been really cool watching this whole process, and we love being part of Rank Trailer. No, thank you. You've, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to uh, actually start out by giving you some props. I didn't actually know this, but uh, I checked out your profile before getting on the podcast with you, and you have actually been a registered BAT user since July 2009. Yeah, uh, I don't even know if you you know you're, you're such an OG like that, but yeah, twelve odd years ago, uh, that was the early days, uh, long before BAT auctions uh, were even a were even a thought. Yeah, no, that was that was we loved watching those uh, those daily emails. And what I really really liked is when one of my cars I was selling got highlighted because I knew it was going to be a really good day then. And yeah, fast forward, you have, uh, let's see, you have listed over 350 cars on BAT, which is, which is pretty impressive. I believe that uh, gets you to the second highest number um, of cars sold. So that is, uh, uh, you know, a distinction of note. Um, you've definitely built a reputation for some of the best presented cars and vehicles and most thorough auction listings on BAT. So um, you know, I, I know that you don't you don't figure that out overnight. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you approach the BAT auction process and, and kind of how you've developed your your formula uh, over the years. 
Well, you know, our auction process is, you know, it, you know, starts at the beginning in the acquiring the car. Um, we buy cars and we also do some consignment cars. Um, but I really look for the best, most unique example. And a lot of times those cars aren't even the best or most unique when they come to me. But I think we've developed a good vision of what makes a car cool, what looks good, the right stance, the right wheels, the right, you know, accessories or or attributes. We go through the cars in big detail to make sure that the you know, they're functioning in as good as they possibly can um, or better. Um, we have a full trained staff here. That's uh, we have three full time techs and uh, and detail department. And we do really like to have our hands on the whole process. After the car goes through all of that, then we uh, um, our photography is you know and video work is the next most important part. Um, and that's, you know, has been a acquired uh, skill that we've made over the last, you know, 10 years of, uh, buying and selling cars on the internet. Um, we find the, if we put the best out there, um, you know, it answers a lot of the questions, you know, you, know, you can, you can tell the condition of the car, you can tell the condition of what it's been gone through and people like that. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I think your very first listing was, was it a late 90s Formula One car roller? Was it yes, that 99 Jordan? Yes, it was. 99 Jordan uh, Formula One car. I bought that car um, when I had a dealership in, in here in Oregon, um, and I had it hanging on the wall. I got it from a... Uh, uh, Honda dealer up in Canada and brought it down and just sitting on the wall. Then, then we moved and now that car is kind of sitting around. So we, uh, we, uh, put it up on BAT as our first car. And you've, um, I mean, you, you list all sorts of stuff, uh, uh, race cars being, uh, being a good portion of what you do. I mean, you're up there in Portland, great, great car community, uh, and racing community in the Portland area. I know we got a lot of uh, BAT community members in your neck of the woods. Uh, tell us about that. I mean, that's, uh, that's a pretty neat place. If you're into, if you're into, uh, uh, neat cars and trucks and, and race cars. There's a lot of neat stuff in the, in the Northwest. Um, you people think about the climate, you know, being wet and rainy, but it's a, you know, we have the humidity that causes all the rust. So we, you know, the cars last here a long time. Guys up here really like to have their cars and they keep them forever and put them away and they're just, you know, so there's all these little barn finds and garage finds and collectors and it's very unique. Um, the, the Portland community, you know, there's several big car clubs and cars and coffee gatherings and all that is really growing. Yeah, no, that's uh, uh, definitely, uh, we, we've, uh, some of the BAT staff have made some fun trips up there and uh, I've actually never been to to uh, PIR, the, the raceway there, but uh, would love to make it up for, for the, is it, is it the Rose Cup they have there every uh, every July yes, 4th? The, the Rose Cup, yes, the Rose Cup is, uh, it's the oldest amateur road race uh, west of the Mississippi in the U.S. Um, this year will be its 60th running of the Rose Cup. Um, the Rose Cup event itself is a kind of a rung what you brung, a, you know, bring the baddest, fastest car you got and uh, racing against their, uh, others. You know, it's been, you know, Monty Shelton was a big winner of it. You know, 
Phil Hills ran in it. Um, lots of famous names. I've won it three times though. <laughs> um, what were you driving? Uh, a uh, Ford Roush Trans Am, uh, full tube frame, 900 horsepower Mustang. Wow, that's uh, I that's I, I think I still have the GT1 uh, track record at like a minute eleven three. Honestly, you, you've sold a lot of uh, of really sweet race cars. I think one of my favorites, you had kind of a, a I don't think it was a real 26R, but a, a mid-60s yeah. Rosaland S2 uh, race car, maybe 26, in, in kind of in the style of a 26R racer. Right. Um, that was 60-odd thousand bucks. And uh, yeah, I can't think of too many uh, cars uh, that deliver that amount of punch and fun. Uh, in that price level, that's definitely a car I would I would love to rip around PIR. That was a great little car. Um, you know, got that from a local kind of a legend uh, racer guy here in town, and uh, yeah, you know, built from lots of twenty six R parts, and uh, you know, but you know, it was kind of a recreation, uh, obviously. But um, there's, there's it's a big racing community, so that's always fun. And I've noticed, you know, we. Um, in the last couple of years have listed more and more uh, vintage motorcycles. I noticed you guys have uh, increased the number of bikes you're listing. Is that because uh, you've taken, you've bought more, taken more on consignment, uh, found that market more interesting of late uh, or, or what? Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. We've got, I got several collectors that have been, you know, like, Hey, sell this, sell this. And uh, we've done it. Um, is it my favorite thing? I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but you know, the, the vintage bikes are neat and cool. I, you know, I have some vintage, uh, I have a vintage Ducati and vintage BMW. Um, and they're fun to go out and ride around. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, old cars, you don't have to go 10 tenths or be, go, you know, breaking the, or doubling the speed limit all the time to be having a good time on a, on a vintage vehicle. Um, so that, that's probably the, the, the draw of them. Um, the, the lines, the styling, they're, they're quite beautiful. So I think most of these old vintage bikes just go in somebody's living room or, or, uh, you know, man cave. And that's their, one of their highlights. And you know, you know what else you guys have, have, uh, have done well with and, and present beautifully is, uh, like Land Rover 90, 110s, but, but oftentimes, uh, really tastefully modified uh, versions. Maybe they have like a 200 TDI swap or uh, right. Arkanik built it in the UK. Um, is that because Portland just has a higher uh, uh, concentration of guys who like that stuff or, or, or what? The, you know, the off-roading in general has just, you know, I think skyrocketed in the last few years. The whole Overland deal, the Defenders have always been so beautiful and cool looking. Um, they're, you know, kind of, uh, you know, Lego S build. So you can, you can slip and swap and change things around and, and make them neat. Arconic, who like we sold five or six of them, um, are, uh, really, really high quality machines that are, are, you know, taken all apart and redone. So it's the opportunity to, to buy something that's brand new, basically that's, you know, 25 years old or older. Um, Defenders are just have such a great look and style. You know, everybody's drawn to them up here. Um, 
you know, are they the best driving? Are they very exciting? You know, they're, they're more related to John Deere tractor in a lot of ways, but gosh, you know, you go, they get more attention than driving a GT3 911 around. It's kind of crazy. You know, I actually got the chance. I was out in uh, the east end of Long Island this summer and a guy let me drive his Defender 90 and I drove it around for 15 minutes. And I, I personally didn't need to own one after that. Right. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think with a lot of the, the really... Um, like nutso builds, every nut and bolt type thing that has been refurbished. Uh, I think maybe some of those people are kind of buying those and using them in kind of a daily driver type capacity. I mean, they're obviously not cars you need to be afraid to, to put miles on. And, and right. you know, for some of these that have been really gone through, you know, I don't imagine reliability is a huge concern, is it? No, no. They, I mean, they are reliable. They're, they're just... Uh they're just not ultra performance oriented, you know? Um, and they're a little bit related to Harley is that, you know, they like to mark their spot where they were parked. Um, you know, it's, they're, they're very eclectic and fun. You know, the guys a lot of what we sell them to are, they're putting them at their cabin in Aspen or at their beach house or up in the Hamptons or, um, you know, down in, down the desert. I mean, they're, they're just something that they can drive to the coffee shop or go out with their buddies and, and, you know, be unique. Um, and you know, the restored ones are definitely, you know, what's drawing the money. Totally. So, I mean, you've obviously been around the Portland, uh, car community for some time. Um, but before you were 9-11 R, if I'm not mistaken, you were a very young general manager of the Ferrari store there. Is that right? Yes. I went to work for Ron Tonk and Gran Turismo as a general manager when I was 27. I was there for nearly 10 years. Also, while I was there, I started uh, Moto Corsa, the Ducati franchise uh, for the Tonkin group. And uh, so I, I was running the Ferrari store and the Ducati store, and uh, it, was, it was quite a ride. You know, I, you know, I'm a, a Portland native, and uh, so being launched into that the ultra high end scene was was fun, and uh, learned lots. And uh, you know, I was probably one of the last people to to work with Ron Tonkin on a day to day basis, almost. Um, lots of good stories there. <laughs> Tonkin, he was uh, one of the early, early Ferrari distributors. I mean, going back when to the to the early seventies or, or, or early. He, I think he was. I want to say it was sixty nine or sixty eight um, when he got the Ferrari dealerships, um, and you know he was the oldest Ferrari dealership um, in the U.S. I guess they still are considered that because uh, Brad now runs the uh, owns the franchise uh, for Ferrari. But, uh, right, right, right. So was Tonkin like having cocktails with Luigi Canetti back back in the day, or, or, or absolutely. what? Did, did he tell absolutely. you all his, all his old uh, war stories with that? Oh yeah, there was lots of war stories, and and you know, tell him why his cars are the best cars. You know, he has uh, he got the last two eighty eight GTO off the off the assembly line with a letter from from Enzo with it, you know, thanking them for all of his years of, of being a Ferrari dealer. So there, lots of cool stuff. And, you know, Ron's got a, a, a great Ferrari collection and uh, um, pretty cool stuff. But so, I mean, usually if I, if I hear general manager of a Ferrari dealership, I associate that with kind of a grizzled seasoned veteran. Right. 
uh, a guy maybe in his 40s or 50s or 60s, but but you were 27 years old. Yep. So how did that how did that come to pass? I actually ran into Brad Tonkin at World Superbike down in Laguna, introduced myself, and I told him he should give me the Ferrari store to run. He goes, why would you want to do that? They don't sell any cars. I said, well, that's more of the reason why you should have me sell your, uh, run that dealership. So we uh, quickly made a deal and uh, took over the store and, you know, moved it way up the scale. Yeah, very good. Interesting. And so... Um, as far as your own personal taste in cars, I mean, does that kind of mirror the cars that, that 911R is selling on the site? What, uh, uh, what do you drive and what do you like uh, in, in, your, in your personal life? Right. I'm, a, I'm definitely an air-cooled old 911 guy. I have a 71 hot rod that I've built. I got an air-cooled 911 race car right now. Um, I'm always building new cars. The problem is I don't keep them very long. They usually end up on bring a trailer. Um, building another safari car right now. I'm sure they'll probably make it that way soon. <laughs> um, I, you know, I have my daily driver is a, I got a Toyota Land Cruiser with an LS swap and a Volkswagen GTI. <laughs> yeah, very good. And, uh, and how about some of your, how about some of your favorites uh, that you've sold uh, over the years? Probably one of my favorite cars that was my uh, uh, personal car that I sold on Bring Trailer was my 68 911 hot rod. Um, was that the orange one? The orange car. That, that was, was the, the BAT Photography of the Year winner, whenever that was, yes. uh, two or yes. three years ago. Huh? Yes, that car. I owned that car for about five years. I built it from the ground up. Um, that, was a, that was a really fun car. Um, i trying to think of all the other stuff. I mean... So many cars. Um, well, yep. you're you're like me, Matt. People people say, "Oh, Howard, you know what, what? What did you look at this week? Or what's cool that sold?" And right, and sometimes there's it's such a high volume of stuff that yeah. I, I kind of I, my brain kind of goes blank when someone asks me to you actually kind of gloss over. <laughs> um, um, you know, I've sold numbers uh, 356 speedsters lately, and they've really grown on me. I, I, you know, I think I'm gonna have my eye on like a pre A coupe here pretty soon uh, for myself. I, I that stuff's just really cool and beautiful. Um, and, and my buddy here in the office, and I'm gonna put you a little bit on the spot here, but yeah. he said, you know, you ought to ask Matt. Is there any car that you have never seen sold on Bring a Trailer that you are? either surprised you've never seen one or you're hoping to be the first guy to list it? Gosh. Um, I guess, has there been an F40? There has not. There has been an F40 engine. There has been right. F40 wheels. I think an owner's manual. We, we, we've sold almost yeah. enough parts to make an F40. <laughs> yeah, we've never actually sold the entire car. That's funny. Speaking of parts, I, I have a Porsche 910 wheel and be putting up. <laughs> you know, we, we've sold we had like a set of uh like 906 wheels that that sold for for huge money i mean i guess if, if you really need that stuff and you need the the real oem parts okay. uh it's not like they're just uh sitting on ebay every week no it's not it's not you know a couple years ago i needed a lamborghini mira sv manual of course one pops up a brand new trailer i kept bid to like eight thousand dollars i'm like this is crazy <laughs> And I didn't get it. Um, 
so yeah, you know, some of the really big stuff I really think I feel like it's going to be moving to bring a trailer um, just because this online auction platform is just so much better, in my opinion, than uh, the, a lot of the, the live auctions. You know, so much more time to invest into seeing what the car is and, and showing more details and, and talking about the details with the community. And I think uh, folks that have watched some of your auctions, they know they can always count on a pretty thorough driving video. I mean, you, yes. you check the boxes for kind of the beauty shots and all that. But uh, for all your cars, you actually go and, and uh, mount the what, what's your camera set? You, you mount a Go, GoPro inside and you have kind of a masked Stig figure that yeah. uh, goes on the Portland Loop or what? Yes. Yeah. We have the Northwest Stig here and we got the, the Portland Loop. And we know we've had to change it up lately. There's been road construction for several months. It's been kind of annoying. But yeah, we uh, we have like a, we microphone the cars. We use uh, you know, really high quality mounts and uh, cameras and go out and really put the cars to the paces, show them that they can be driven. Because, I mean, nobody wants to buy a sports car and watch it, you know, idle down a gravel road. I don't know how many of those videos I've seen. You know, let's hear it run. Let's see it shift. Let's see it shift up and down. Let's see it match the revs. Let's hear it run right. Um, It's it's quite amazing. And, you know, usually, uh, you know, I get all the contacts to me directly. Hey, what exhaust is on that? Or what modification is that? Mine doesn't sound that way. But, you know, when we use the quality mic and put it near the tailpipe, you know, it really, it changes the feel of the, the experience of driving the car. You, you can you can vision it better, I think. Man, what did you guys have? I, you know, I, I watch a few of those videos you guys do. Um, I, I, I used to watch them all. That's become more difficult these days. Yeah, um, but you had, what you had like maybe a GT2 RS or something, yes. like yes. such a badass exhaust and, and you know, you can't capture that any other way than hearing it. And uh, that was, that was one that stuck out to me. That was like, damn, that thing is, yeah, uh, that thing is serious. It makes it again, it makes all the difference. And, you know, you can feel the speed and, you know, a lot of times when you're watching a little screen and it's a drive video, it's really hard to, uh, uh, get the, the feel of what's going on. Now it's always like when I, you know, go back and look at in-car race car stuff. I'm like, God, I feel like I was really hauling ass there. But, you know, if there's no volume or you can't really get the feel, it feels almost, you know, slow. It's kind of crazy. You know, and any guy who has driven around a racetrack and, and filmed it knows that your, your in-car video never looks as fast or exciting as it actually feels behind the wheel, right? Never. Never. <laughs> exactly. Well, Matt, thank you for uh, for joining us. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time to, to do this. And yeah, this is the first uh, first guest we've had. So maybe we'll have you back for, I don't know, podcast 100 if we get there. Love to. Love to. Thank you very much, Howard. Thank you, your, your whole team. Um, we, we love being part of Bring a Trailer and uh, putting up cool stuff and, and watching the, the two-minute clock countdown. You bet. We'll, we'll keep up the good work and we'll, we'll look out for uh, for more awesome cars from you in the future. Thanks, Howard. Take care. All right. So, yeah, thanks, Howard, for that inter- interview series. I think that was uh, hopefully interesting for everybody. It's really great to get, a, uh, you know, sellers and buyers uh, here. But there's all sorts of categories of people uh, we're excited for who we may be able to reach out to in the future. And if you have, again, if you have suggestions for who you'd love to hear from um, interviewing people, um and honestly, just engaging with the community. It's kind of a different thing for a marketplace, right? We want to 
be able to make that transparent. And that is something that on BAT, obviously, the open commenting um, steers towards that. But actually talking to them here, it was one of the big reasons why we have, want to have a podcast at all, because you can actually hear, oh, wow, these, are, these usernames are actually real people. Totally. So that was great. As Randy said, we, we got a great list of, uh, of guests coming up in the future. Um, next week, we are going to have the curator for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum. Um, as some of you may know, we entered into um, a cool partnership with them. They are deaccessioning um, a big block of vehicles that the museum has owned uh, many for 60 plus years. Um, uh, that Tony Holman bought, uh, uh, most of which back in the, in the early 60s. So um, we've listed, I think, about 40 cars for the IMS Museum, and we've got many more to go. So um, we'll have Jason Van Sickle, uh, who's a really awesome guy, young guy, super knowledgeable, um, that'll join us, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about uh, what we're doing with him. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, again, if you um, have any questions or suggestions, jump on over to the BAT uh, podcast page um, and uh, send us an email at podcast at bringatrailer.com um, and watch out for the next uh, episodes coming up and subscribe to them on all your favorite channels so that you can hear more of what's going on. Thanks for joining. <laughs>